Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Ask the Dentist. Today, we are going to be speaking with two registered dental hygienists. Uh, I know one quite well, Sarah, and go way back with her. She wrote uh, the appendix. I don't know if you remember this, Sarah, but that was 2015. That's almost eight years ago for my book on sleep apnea. And I'm just meeting Melissa Munoz, Sarah Hornsby. So these are registered dental hygienists that are way more than that. They understand and practice and teach uh, myofunctional therapy. So you've heard me talk a lot about myofunctional therapy, how important it is. Uh, I, I'm always saying that a dentist that does not practice with a myofunctional therapist or does not have access to one is not practicing dentistry correctly. So this is an important aspect of dental treatment, oral health. And I think later in the episode, we'll talk about how it can relate to overall health. So welcome, Melissa and Sarah. Thanks so much for being here. I think we've got a lot to talk about. Yeah, thank you so much for having us on. Um, I'm so happy to connect with Melissa because she's not only my business partner, she's a dear friend, and um, you're also a good friend of mine. So it's always nice to connect people who don't know each other. So yeah. I um, agree. thanks for having us. And I always learn so much when I speak with you. So it'll be wonderful. Again, when you're a teacher, you're good at getting the point across. And that's what you've been doing for how long, Sarah? Teaching. Yeah, I, I mean, your started website. teaching um, myofunctional therapy. Technically, it was around 2016, 17. It was on a very small scale, more like local study groups and things like that. But right. um, now the Myo Mentor program that I teach has had over 1,100 graduates. So it's pretty amazing wow. how far that's come. So That's yeah. quite a profound effect. And we definitely need more myofunctional therapists in this country. And so let's talk, let's go right into just as a review for those who aren't too familiar with myofunctional therapy. What is myofunctional therapy? Just in a nutshell, what, what is it? We'll talk about why it's important, but what is myofunctional therapy? You go, Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I would say myofunctional therapy is uh, two parts of a bigger equation. And I like to break it down as we know, structure, function, and behavior. And myofunctional therapy is the behavior and function aspect. It's the aspect of training, understanding, and identifying um, issues within the oral cavity and the head neck um, that are affecting multiple facets of things, our, our airway, um, the stability of our occlusion, the way we chew, the way we speak, the way we eat, um, and overall just act and interact with ourselves, if that makes sense. Um, it's all the muscles, it's the tongue, where the tongue rests and the placement. Um, but overall, it's a, it's a concept where we kind of are coaches and trainers to help people identify maybe some patterns and things that they're doing on a muscular standpoint, as well as behaviors that are having a negative effect of yes, their teeth, but really their whole body, the way they're sleeping and breathing. Yeah. So why are a lot of registered dental hygienists, myofunctional therapists, how does that can, I mean, I think I know the answer, but I'm curious, and I think people would like to know. Uh, and then also talk, I mean, I think you mentioned it, but um, facial development. I mean, that's where I get excited with myofunctional yeah. development, the muscles, we can talk about that, but the tongue is an amazing muscle that shapes our face and our airway properly or not properly. And that's why this is so crucial to know about. But but first, RDHs, registered dental hygienists, those mm -hmm. are for those who don't know, and you should, you should have a hygienist that you love dearly and go see twice, three, four times a year. Uh, those are the people that clean your teeth. Those are the people that educate you. I think they're one of the greatest public health, what is it? Public health uh, servants. I hate that word servants, but 
uh, out there because they educate and they have an hour with you. The dentist comes in or a physician, they have their 10, 15 minutes with you at best, but it's the hygienist that really educates. And, and maybe that answers the question. Yeah, maybe I was, that's I why. Was, I yeah. was going to say that. I think the reason hygienists get into this field is because it's a career path that, first of all, they're able to take with their current training. Um, but also, I think most people who get into dental hygiene are educators at heart. And so when they learn about this, they can't help but talk about it and they want to share it. They want to really help their patients connect those dots to the symptoms. So um, to go back to the first question with Melissa too, um, it's a therapy where we teach exercises. And so it's a way that hygienists can get into a different career space, become educators in a different way that I think feels very impactful. Not that dental hygiene and periodontal health isn't effective and impactful. Uh, when we start talking about facial development and sleep and breathing and the full mind body connection, I think that makes hygienists really excited. So that's why they get into it. I also think hygienists see more of the patient for a longer period of time. And, you know, when the hygienist is, has a suction tip in there, an excavator, saliva, uh, uh, you know, suction tube, and they're scraping and cleaning the teeth, uh, you, you understand more about what that patient's going through. A, if they're not able to nose breathe, they're going to have to get up and spit a lot, or they need more help. I yeah. mean, there, there are a lot of They're things that you want to hold the suction. Like, exactly. Oh, or they struggle. It's uncomfortable. They struggle or they're phobic, uh, especially the kids. Uh, you know, if you're blocking that one airway because the other one's blocked the nasal passages, then I think hygienists inherently get that message a lot sooner than the dentist does. I also, I also think that, you know, and from a hygiene, from a hygiene standpoint, we are soft tissue uh, people, right? We, we do a lot with the gingiva and the gum. And so being able to look at the, the soft tissue in another way and see how it's affecting more does fall really naturally and comfortably into our wheelhouse. Um, and it's, it's just great to have another perspective. And I think, I think a lot of hygienists are used to building great relationships with the patients, getting to know them on a, you know, on a personal level and really getting to identify some of their behaviors and uh, having the ability and the time, I think, as you right. said, to have these deeper conversations, to dive into areas uh, that maybe the dentist doesn't have the time to do. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a natural extension of what uh, registered dental hygienists do. I mean, think about it the other way where who else would do this? It, it, the dentists know because they're they're blindfolded. They, they, they're very biased and they're more hard tissue, although they're you know also soft tissue oriented. The good ones are um, but not based on curriculum necessarily, but, you know, a physician or someone just off the street that would go into myofunctional, uh, a school, they don't have the background that a registered dental hygienist has. So I think it's a natural extension. I think those are the ones that should be doing myofunctional therapy. So. Well, we appreciate that because it sure fits well in our hat. Yeah. <laughs> like doing well, it. and it expands your world and the abilities yeah. and, and I, I think it makes your job even more interesting. So I think it's great. It elevates us and allows us to help the dentist do more and be more, right? I think, you know, uh, the mouth is the window to the entire body. So oh. the more the dentist has a team to collaborate to help them elevate and do more than that and, and really look deeper, it's just, it's really a beautiful thing. And Absolutely. I think the more people that can support it, the better. So how old is uh, the art and profession of myofunctional therapy? I'm curious, how far back does it go? 
It's so funny because I've been looking into this a lot and I I've started to include it in um, the first part of my course. And there's reference to mouth breathing um, all the way back to like the industrial revolution. Um, A guy named George Catlin kind of traveled around and lived with different groups of um, native Americans and South, you know, people from South America and indigenous people. And um, he noticed that they were so much healthier compared to people who lived in cities and had pollution and worked in factories And um, he said that they were all nasal breathers and he wrote a book called close your mouth and save your life. And um, so I think that's some of the earliest references to it. Uh, I mean, if you go into like Eastern culture um, in India, they're talking about giving phrenectomies to get to different um, sutras with tongue postures Mm -hmm. like thousands of years ago. So I'm not an expert in that, but um, releasing the tongue, it it sounds so weird and gross, but there was actually a a sutra where they get the tongue to go up behind the soft palate into the nose. And that was like close to an enlightenment if you could do that. So tongue tongue yoga. (laughs) I actually kind of talk about the fact that myofunctional therapy was pretty, um, was around a lot in the forties and fifties without maybe people realizing it. And I, I say this very kindly, but in manners in general, right? In 1940s and 50s, you just were not, or even 30s, you just couldn't sit at the dinner table and chew with your mouth opened and, you know, sitting up straight and having proper posture and, you know, enjoying a meal at a slower pace and and truly, you know, chewing properly is a huge part of functionality and what we do. So a lot of times I think people worked a lot of their facial muscles without knowing it um, just because of the way society and culture kind of- A lot lot of that was based on uh, the reputation that mouth breathers had in the like the Victorian era they were considered yeah. criminals and deviants and, and, you know, where, where did that come from? Was it correlation or, I mean, it, it's true. I mean, it's not true that all mouth breathers are that way, but it is true that mouth breathing does have an effect on you, not only physically, but also mentally. We can talk a little bit about that, but, but uh, I think uh, James Nestor, I just thought of this, James Nestor, when he was doing research for his book, his fantastic book, uh, Breath, um, he came up with, because he had talked to me, he had interviewed me about mouth taping. And then a week or two later, he sent me this text because he did a lot of research. He was in European libraries looking for uh, you know, a lot of information in, in texts that go way back. And I think he found a, a reference to mouth breathing from a dentist in the 1840s or 1860s. And, and that's how old, I mean, dentistry in the US, I mean, it's officially the official designation of it being a profession, uh, I think goes back to the early 1800s. So it's quite early on. The problem is, I mean, what that illustrates is that for a long time, we forgot about mouth breathing. Mm -hmm. We just didn't treat it. So that's why I always ask that question. How long has myofunctional therapy been around? In dentistry, we've kind of been ignoring the whole mouth breathing, um, nose breathing issue and and, and to our detriment, to our patient's detriment. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sorry, just real quick. I mean, if you see the change in the way, the less, you know, the more we let people, you know, kind of change and chew differently and, and kind of those things went. We also saw in dentistry I mean, in the 70s and 80s, we saw a huge spike of patients needing expansion and crowding and, and all of those things and um, a lot of stuff. I mean, I know that goes into a lot of the food quality that we eat and things like that, but mm-hmm. you started off with a really great thing you had mentioned is, you know, the tongue really is the natural retainer of the mouth. Yeah. Um, so that I don't find it to be a coincidence that uh, all of a sudden things started to concave and collapse as everything else started to elongate and go down. 
which is really symbolic and side effect of, of mouth breathing. You know, and I, I, I moved about four years ago um, after I retired from clinical practice and I went through all my textbooks because that was a lot. I mean, a lot of heavy, that, that was probably five or six very heavy boxes. And I threw away about 95% of my textbooks because they were out of date. I kept an inclusion book, which I think I may have updated halfway through my career, but I threw away, I threw away the cariology book. I threw all those books away because things have changed. There were no uh, oral microbiome books, of course, so I didn't have to throw any of that away, but I threw away my facial development book because it was just, it was so thin. Mm -hmm. I looked through it. I thought, you know, this would be great. You know, look at my underlinings and it was so rudimentary. It was so simple. And there was no mention of the tongue being the creator of the whole lower face and the airway and development. And, and so, and I think in dental school, I didn't, I thought the muscle was one, sorry, the tongue was one muscle. <laughs> I think I, I think yeah. a lot of us thought that it was just it, the only unusual thing is that it didn't have as uh, a alternate, you know, connection point like most muscles do. Yeah. So, yeah. so oh, that's how basic it was. There wasn't a deep dive into that. I mean, I make a joke. I had a lot of breathing issues growing up. So school, I really had to work hard yeah. because of all my stuff. But I remember anatomy. I don't feel like we went that deep into the dissection and of all the different areas of the tongue itself. It was kind of just, this is what this looks like. This is where it is. And, you know, you kind of move forward to it. Um, it's it's crazy now when we look and we dive deeper, how much more is connected to it, how it makes shapes and how it does things. It's it's the it's the lost art of breathing. I mean, that's the subtitle to uh, James Nestor's book. And I think, as it is with sleeping, we all assume that we can sleep well. Just as the same would be, we all assume that if we're alive, we're breathing properly, and that's so far from the truth. So, so let's talk about what. So, I'm going to read through a list of questions here. These are questions I I got from Instagram people that follow me on Instagram, or they come up often. We can just quickly go through them. Um, I do want to kind of get into just shortly, what does myofunctional therapy look like? But first let's go through these questions. So a lot of um, patients, a lot of listeners, readers, viewers, they ask about Buteco in, in context with myofunctional therapy. So could you explain how that fits in? They think it's something different, I think, something completely different and that it's competing with myofunctional therapy. Yeah. How does it fit into myofunctional therapy? I can introduce it and maybe Melissa can go a little bit more in depth, but Buteco breathing is a completely separate field. It's a very different um, therapy. It's focused on just breathing, but the cool thing about it is they are all about nasal breathing. And so the world of Buteco overlaps significantly with the world of myofunctional therapy because we have the same goals. The things that they don't talk about in Buteco breathing, because it's a breathing modality, it's breathing exercises. They don't talk about tongue posture or tongue ties or some of the muscle function, but they're touching on a big portion of the goals of myofunctional therapy. So if you want to take it a little more in depth, Melissa. From a clinical standpoint, I think they're best friends. Um, uh, you know, peanut butter and jelly. No way to put it. No way to put it. Uh, yeah, they, they're better together, and that's really the best For way sure. to say it. Um, actually, Sarah and I had a, a meeting today with a bunch of our therapists, and I I kind of went on a little bit of a tangent of how important it is to bring everybody back to the breath. It, it's everything. So 
exercises being delivered are great, but a lot of patients will actually hold their breath even during exercises, or you'll start to feel them really, really tense up into the chest. Um, and that's a, a sign for me that we really need to back off, bring the patient back to the moment, get them to breathe. And we love the basic and the simplicity of Buteco to say, okay, let's just get back into that belly breathing. Maybe are we a little, I, we've even talked about our therapists and ourselves saying, you know, starting off um, a session by doing some nose clearing, making sure we're getting the oxygen flowing and then, um, you know, and then heading into our sessions because we're really setting the standard for what we need the, the moms and dads or the patients to do on a daily basis. Uh, changing behaviors is is about also being able to slow your breath down and reconnect so that you can move these things in a less uh, defensive way, right? In less aggressive way. And Buteco just sets it up so lovely. Sarah and I include um, Patrick uh, McEwen's book in every one of our kits. Good, uh, both of his books. When I first started, I used to give every parent a discount of like $100 as long as they could answer five or six questions after reading the book. Wow. Because I really found That's it- smart. Yeah, I thought it was super important. I wanted to make sure they were on the same page. So for me, yes, they're separate theories, but they're they're just one. They're better together. Right. And I mean, one of the key exercises we teach is the unblocking your nose exercise. And that's that's a Buteco breathing method. exercise. And, and right. I mean, I think that's one of the most important exercises that we include in our therapy. And so I mean, we are pulling in and integrating a lot of the Buteco techniques into our myofunctional therapy, but they're not the same thing per se. So um, hopefully that answers your question. That's a, I love the answer. Uh, best friends. Uh, I like that. Yes. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the, um, how does, what are the principles of myofunctional therapy, the therapy itself? What does that look like? What, what would a patient expect or what should they seek out? Yeah. Um, can I point my one. phrase first? Yeah, yeah, say your phrase. So, so I, um, I've been using this word lately that you're a great myofunctional therapist is your airway traffic controller. There we go. Um, they're there to help set you up. Yes, I'll have Sarah go through because she's amazing at setting up the standards and the protocols, but you really want the concept. You, you should expect from a good therapist to help navigate, educate, and really guide you through your journey. So whether it's getting a tongue tie release, needing expansion, needing to do breath work, needing to work on your gut biome, working on your nutrition, this should be the person that really is your coach and can navigate you through all of that. Yeah. No, it's so beautifully put, Melissa. Um, the the key components, I mean, what we're doing in therapy is actually really basic. We have, I, I call it the four goals. You need to breathe through your nose all day and all night. You need to have your tongue up fully in the roof of your mouth. That's the tip, the middle and the back of the tongue all day and all night lips together and correct swallowing. So the swallowing is, is the, probably the most complex of the goals, but once you get the correct posture and the correct function, um, for tongue movements and muscle tone, the swallowing is the last thing that we work on in therapy. So those are the goals. I mean, all of the exercises that we teach are in the name of accomplishing those four goals. And, you know, so I like to try to make things very simple and, and able to be visualized. Obviously it's a lot more complex than that. Um, I know that in the field, people often talk about, it's not just exercises that is 100% true. I mean, really what we're trying to do is change function and behaviors. And so 
just finding a list of exercises online or even looking on YouTube and, and watching videos of exercises, they're out there. Um, the key to make therapy successful is that your therapist can teach you exercises that they might teach to everyone, but they're going to hone in on how to help you with your unique set of compensations and challenges that you have. So they can guide you and maybe the exercise is the same, but the way that you are struggling or working through that exercise is going to be very different. And that's very case by case. So, yeah, I think um, that's uh, important to, to realize if you are interested in myofunctional therapy, the exercises themselves are pretty straightforward, yeah. but you don't know if there's efficacy or not, if you're doing them correctly. And that's where you need a coach. You need someone exactly. to identify that you're doing it properly, because if you do it incorrectly, by the time you leave or, you know, wherever you're getting the therapy uh, and you're doing it incorrectly, then, I mean, that's something that will, that will, you'll suffer with for a long time until you do do it correctly. Yeah. I actually have a, a interesting um, story about that because as you know, I work with Dr. Sarusagi and um, some of the early research that he did in myofunctional therapy out of Stanford, they didn't know what myofunctional therapy was. And so they started off just giving people lists. And then they realized they kept hitting these roadblocks. I mean, they're all ENTs and oral surgeons and yep. like medical doctors at Stanford trying to research this topic, but not actually realizing how complex it is. And so they would give people the lists and then the research wasn't coming out very, very high quality because they weren't actually getting the exercises to be effective. So then they started playing videos and even that wasn't effective. That's so then enough. they actually realized we have to have real therapists yeah. doing real therapy in order to get right. good research. There, so there has to be a feedback loop. And, <laughs> yeah. and the reason those surgeons, and thank goodness they, they saw this to be a problem, they realized that their surgery wasn't as effective as it could have been without some kind of coaching and myofunctional therapy. So that leads me to one of the questions I get a lot. Uh, I refer a lot of people to Zagi and, and um, uh, other, uh, you know, ENTs as well for tongue tie surgery. And they always, not always, a lot of them come back and say, what is it with all this myofunctional therapy that I have to do before surgery? The surgery takes five, 10 minutes, seems to be the simplest part of it. Why? I mean, I know the answer, but explain why that's so important. We, we just, Sarah just touched on it, but well, it's important that that's important. And also it's costly too. Well, I actually just came back. Uh, I do a lot of consulting where I really do spend time teaching the whole team how to, for this exact question of like, why is this important? How do you set up patients for success? The surgery uh, team. Yeah, surgery team and yeah. just the dental office. And even going into one aspect of what you guys were saying before, I just brings me to communication, right? When I got, when I really started studying communication and getting into it, I noticed everything kind of elevating and things getting better. And, and that's what it is really good therapy that can identify and separate what we call compensation patterns, right? So, you know, you're, you think you're using one group of muscles, but actually you're kind of um, relying on another. Yeah. And I use an example, you ever walk into a gym and somebody's doing like crunches and their whole face is bright red. Yep. <laughs> their abs are not getting worked out, only their faces. Right. Yep. And a lot of times when people work their tongue, they're actually really relying on extrinsic muscles. And those muscles are the ones that are getting predominantly all the work. Mm -hmm. So when you're in these surgeries, it's really important that these patients are able to hold and maintain certain positions when they are numb. That's a really big part when they are numb. If right. you don't have muscle memory and understanding and 
awareness, right? Communication of what you're doing, what to expect. You're not going to be able to hit certain positions to be able to give the view to the surgeon or the doctor for what they need to see to give you a really well um, clear release, right? This is fascia we're talking about. This is stuff that's wrapped around muscles. You want to be able to hold things really well so that you always want your surgeon to have great vision and be able to see everything. The better your therapy, the more your body's prepared, the more you're mentally prepared, physically, the better the one, the healing is going to go, the outcome of the procedure and the, efficiency, and the efficiency of the release, less bleeding, right. the suturing goes nicer. It's a win-win for everybody. And the surgeon really gets to have such a better outcome. The patient yeah. has a better experience. It's so much easier for the doctor doing the, the oh, nice. surgery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If the patient is prepared. <laughs> so if you want well, a good the tongue has outcome. to be in a certain yeah. position before they do surgery. They need to understand where that tongue tie actually occurs. Is it posterior, anterior? Mm-hmm. And uh that's yeah. Um what what is it? I just thought of this, uh, something Melissa said. Um you, you use the word accommodation. So we accommodate for, let's say we're you know, an infant, we have a tongue tie, lip tie, whatever. We're, we're, we're mouth breathing only what accommodation occurs at that age up until whatever age development is done 80, 90% of it's done by age six or seven or eight. Um, what, what is that accommodation and how is that undone by myofunctional therapy? How would that, what would that look like? You want to start, Sarah? <laughs> I was going to say it's com it's um, compensations and accommodation is a great word too. Cause I mean, yeah. really they mean the same thing. Yep. Um, but yeah, we're always looking at what is this person doing as a compensation pattern because their tongue can't move. And so with babies, we see challenges in breastfeeding a lot of times. Um, and I'm, I'm not an expert in babies, but I always like to give that caveat, but they're using their, um, buccinators more than they, and they should be using their tongue and the buccinators are the cheek muscles. So they're using, um, the muscles that, and they're, they might be getting milk. They might be gaining weight but they're using this dysfunctional pattern with their muscles and breathing in order to achieve that. And that only continues throughout life. So maybe in the early stages, they have these compensations around breastfeeding. Um, Then it it moves into feeding. Sometimes it moves into habits with putting thumb and fingers and toys and um, things in the mouth. Um, As we go through different phases of life, you know, it can turn into just um, open mouth chewing and, you know, um, mouth breathing and just using all these muscles for speech and eating ineffectively because it started off in the early, early days that we're compensating for a tongue tie or, or whatever. So right. I don't know mm-hmm. if you want to elaborate that on that, Melissa, but. Well, I just think compensations, you know, especially when they're younger. And I think if I'm correct, the question you're kind of asking is like, how can we undo those and what kind of, you know, return ROI could they receive mm-hmm. uh, by viewing myofunctional therapy? One, the ability to be aware of what you are doing to compensate is amazing, right? So a lot of patients will be like, uh, you know, can I, what can I expect? Will everything be fixed? And I said, well, half the problem, well, I can guarantee you 50% of one thing, you'll have awareness and therefore you'll have the ability to identify when you're doing something. And we're going to really give you the tools so that you can modify and change and, and correct it. And, and that's number one, the earlier we can catch them, we can really unlock and allow the growth process to catch back up. Um, That's the goal. Uh, The more we can get the tongue up, the more we can keep filling the face. Obviously, as we get a little bit older, 
Um, I said in the beginning, you can end up with a lot more structural stuff. Right. So you might end up needing support and resource from, from a structural dentist or a surgeon. But again, really taking control of those four functions and understanding where your compensation is only going to help longer head positioning, your neck, your spine, your, I mean, hips of your feet, everything is affected on how much you're kind of weighing things forward. Um, yeah. And it's, it's lower high. back pain, shoulder yeah, pain. It's, um, it's subconscious. And so I love what Melissa is saying about, we're going to give you that awareness. I mean, it's just like anyone who's tried working on, on shoulder, you know, their posture, mm -hmm. it is challenging at first. And you just always notice I'm slumped. I'm slouched. And mm -hmm. until you really make an effort to become aware of it, like it doesn't cross your mind. I always joke with patients. It's not natural to think about where your tongue sits inside of your mouth right. or am I breathing through my mouth or through my nose? These are things that we do innately without even constantly, like we don't think about it at all. So part of the therapy process is just getting people to notice and to realize, oh, this is what I'm doing all the time. And once they're aware of it, now we can start to change it. But if you're not, if you have no clue, you're doing it, you can't ever change it. Exactly. So. Awareness is key. If you think just about us being on camera or, you know, you've done, you've become both of you, Sarah, online myofunctional therapist, you know, unless you're in this view in this world, right? So movie stars back in the day, all be Audrey Hepper and all of them, they were on camera. They were the one, right? They had a spotlight on them. So it, they were assessing themselves and noticing what would they do? They would change. They would go, oh, how can I fix this? Because it would build awareness. So if you don't have that magnifying or that mirror so that you mm -hmm. have can see it, it's really hard to identify it. Because every time you watch yourself, you're like, Oh my God, I can see, <laughs> you know, because you're really picking it apart. But you have um, to know what to look for. Exactly. Right. And most of us look at the wrong things, more, you know, aesthetic uh, uh, items. What, how long does it take um, for that muscle memory to be reversed in someone, you know, best case scenario? So there's different research around this and statistics. Um, it takes, I want to say six months um, at least to really get long-term results from myofunctional therapy. Um, it doesn't mean that's how long the therapy has to take, but it, it, even if you just did a couple sessions with a therapist, which, um, Melissa and I recommend a comprehensive program, but even if you just started changing some of these things on your own, I think the process of, of time that it takes that neuromuscular reeducation. So your brain communicating with your muscles to change these habits, um, you know, there's different statistics around how long does it take to change a habit? How long does it take to create a new like pattern in your life? There's even um, statistics. I wish I could remember the exact data, but um, after people have some sort of a facial surgery, jaw surgery, something like that, it takes like 21 days or something to even just get used to a new um, change to your face. When you look in the mirror to, to recognize that as being right. you. So yeah. our brain has to also go through a process of change, not just, Oh, do these exercises and you'll be magically fixed. There is this brain change, habit change, behavioral change that it's, it's important and it get, it can get overlooked in the field. We just think here's your exercises, do these and everything will magically be different, but right. it is a process. So I think most of our patients work with us anywhere from like six months to a year. Okay. Um, and we know. typically do around 12 sessions. It's that, feed, it's that feedback loop. Uh, it's being able to recognize that you're doing something correctly mm -hmm. and that doesn't come right away. And then but once you recognize it, then you can teach yourself to keep doing the right thing until it becomes a learned pattern or behavior. 
you can see some things a little quicker, you know, in kids if they've only been doing it for two years, three years, you know, you still have to remind them. But I, I've seen I've seen kids, you know, change pretty quickly if the parents will stay pretty consistent with it. Yeah. It's like anything, if you've been doing something for a really long time, it's going to take a little while for us to yeah. change no, behavior. You're, um, you're right, Melissa. Sometimes people see changes to like their cheekbones, um, yeah. like, you know, their mouth, their eyes, yeah. they see things like really, I mean, within like a couple of weeks. Um, I think most of the time when people start, when they switch from no, from mouth to nose breathing, it takes three to four weeks to feel comfortable with that, typically from what I see. Um, So yeah, there's little, like, it's not just like you have to wait to six months to notice anything, but for long-term results and that that bigger picture change. Um, But yeah, it's exciting for patients to see like little facial changes and things like that pretty quickly. Is there anything that you could describe or mention uh, for people that are wondering whether they should see a myofunctional therapist, maybe their dentist doesn't recognize any of this, doesn't talk about it. Are there any tips that you could just in, in a few minutes talk about what to look for? What What is something where a person can self-recognize that they have an issue with tongue posture, tongue position, swallow, the swallow reflex? Is there anything that's easy to pick up on as a layperson? You go, Melissa. Uh, I would say, yeah, first one is, is ask yourself, is the tip of your tongue sitting behind your lower teeth or is it sitting up behind your upper teeth or is it floating? That's the first one. And then once you notice it, you know, try to become aware. Can you, can you put it up without it dropping? That's one easy one. Also notice if you watch yourself a little bit when you're, when you're speaking or you're eating or you're moving your tongue, how much your neck is actually engaging, right? So if you're really heavy in here or all of this, then try to notice it and see if you can stop it. <laughs> that would be one. Um, someone, one that's silly that I'll, I think Sarah, right? You, you always like to talk about the test for breathing issues. Yeah. A little three minute test with a, with a popsicle stick or with the tape. Correct? Yeah. There's a, a screening tool that um, we've been developing and I can't remember if it's published or not, but it's a three minute um, lip seal test. And so you can either put tape on your lips, you can hold a tongue depressor between your lips you can hold water in your mouth. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, you could just shut your mouth, but having a physical thing that you do can help. And the idea from a clinical perspective is that we want to see if a patient that we're potentially going to do therapy with can make it for three minutes, nasal breathing. And 96, 97% of people should be able to do this. Um, there's going to be three to 4% of people who cannot, those people need to go straight to an ENT. They have a structural issue. They've got something bigger going on, maybe deviated septum, you know, enlarged tonsils, adenoids. So if you can't make three minutes, it's not ideal to start doing therapy. (laughs) If you can make three minutes, but you're in like another 25% of patients who struggle, it feels like, Ooh, that was a little challenging. I can do it, but it's uncomfortable. You're totally able to start therapy. It just tells us that you're not used to the level of CO2 that builds up in your tissues and that makes you want to breathe. Um, because we, that's one of the things that happens when you are used to mouth breathing is you, um, are off gassing or blowing out. And I know this James Esther talks about this and this is one of the Buteco breathing, um, you know, points that they talk about is we need to, um, you know, become more adapted and increase our CO2 tolerance. So once you slow down your breathing, you start nasal breathing. Now this um, CO2 builds up in our tissues. And um, in the beginning, it's uncomfortable, but that's what takes about three to four weeks. Our bodies adapt. And then all of a sudden it feels easy. 
So you might not have a physical obstruction, but nasal breathing could feel really challenging and stressful. And that's actually um, CO2 in, in your Exactly, system. it's the O2, CO2 mix and mm-hmm. uh, can create a sympathetic tone, a feeling of yeah, panic. I mean, it depends on- It's like hard, you know, people start like- Oh yeah. Oh, I can always do it. Fidgety, they're breathing, <laughs> yeah. their intercostal yeah. muscles start the struggling. shoulders moving. Right. exactly. Yeah. Get all the heat. Also, yeah. I just, if you ever had a tongue, if you ever had a tongue piercing, you automatically need to call a myofunctional therapist. <laughs> You, you, just the you, weight of it. You just weighted it down. And I always make, yeah. I can talk about that because when I was 18, I did it. And so I, I say, like, I know. Time. Yeah. And it, it affects also if you're, if you notice that you chew on things a lot and you, differently. And, you, and also you can damage your teeth. And yeah, there are a lot of, uh, that's, that's a one hour mm-hmm. episode right there. I'll make a note of that. Um, I mean, one of the, speaking of things that people can do to, to determine more about their breathing ability and and whether they do have an issue for me was mouth taping. If Mm -hmm. I I could usually see early indications of a problem and I would ask them, you know, how do you feel about taping your mouth at night? Would you be willing to try it? And then sometimes I would try it in the chair. I would take my mouth. uh, I would have them tape their own mouth. I would have the mouth tape there. And then I would say, just walk around the office once, come back in about three minutes. And then I would just want to see what their response was to that. And, you know, there's a variety of responses, but, and then the next step for me was based on that test was send them home, teach them how to mouth tape. And then we would text the next morning and I would ask them, well, what was that like? Did the tape come off? You couldn't find it. Did it stay on, but you had a worse night of sleep than, than usual, or it stayed on and you felt better. I mean, there are all these, everyone reacts differently to forcing the, the nasal breathing. And, and so that's, I mean, we can talk about that. You know, the, we talked about it earlier, the TikTokers and how they're getting blasted now. And a lot of physicians and the media are pushing Mm -hmm. back. And so mouth taping for me has always been many things, but one is that it's a great differential test or way to diagnose an issue. And sometimes just the mention of mouth taping, when you get the reaction from the patient, like, Oh, I'm never going to do that. Well, you know, they, they know, deep down that they are this, they have to protect this airway because there is no air coming through the nose. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most dentists and hygienists know this. Uh, Our phobic patients are the ones that can only breathe through the mouth. And of course we're working in the mouth with liquid and water and air and and hand pieces and aerosols and all that. So, so what, what, what's your take on how does uh, lip taping or mouth taping fit into myofunctional therapy? How is it used? I mean, in law and all kinds of stuff. It's therapy. Is it a diagnostic tool? When should oh. people use it? When shouldn't they? I mean, and is it dangerous? I mean, I know a lot of ENTs that I speak to are just, that's the craziest thing they've ever heard of. Yeah, it's, it's both. I mean, kind of, like I said, you could you do that three minute lip seal test. And if somebody's nervous and they can't make right. it for three minutes, yeah. they definitely don't want to do that at night. Um, I think it's a huge, I mean, it's such a huge part of therapy. Um, Typically when we're working with patients, we don't do it right off the bat. You know, we work with daytime nasal breathing first. And then once we get to a certain point in therapy where patients are comfortable daytime nasal breathing, or even practicing during the day with tape on for, you know, a couple minutes, couple hours, however long at a time, then we transition to nighttime. So, you know, maybe... Some patients, honestly, they just want to jump straight to night. They're like, I want to do this at night. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't or can't people right. actually, when they learn about, it, they're like, I'm going to do this at night. And they, they are like into it, you know? Um, but for people who are hesitant or resistant, there are 
great alternatives to putting tape across your lips. Mm -hmm. um, Patrick McEwen has myo tape and myo it literally tape. goes around the lips like a square and it, it's like kinesio tape. And so it keeps the lips together without actually putting tape across it. Yeah. Um, the I call it the lip, the lip girdle. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. It's it is like that. Isn't it Somnifix that has the slit? It has the vent. It has a vent in it, right? Yeah, and so... It, myotape has a child's version as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so there's there's products. I mean, there's alternative options. I mean, for us in, during therapy, when we get to the phase we're working on nighttime tongue posture, having something to close the mouth and support the jaw is critical because you can't train your tongue while you're asleep if your jaw is hanging open. So right. for us, whether it's tape, whether it's a thing that goes around your head, whether it's, I mean, there's something called sleepy strips. Um, Dr. Dan Hansen has, it's like a Y shape that goes kind of under your chin and across your cheeks. It's not my preference necessarily. A lot of these, I, I like just a simple piece of tape, but there's all sorts of other options. And um, I think it's a really, really helpful part of therapy for the, the nighttime habits. I, I believe. Yeah, I think tape is really important. We, we do definitely discuss it. It's a big part. It's included in our kits. Um, the myo tape is definitely something we'll encourage parents if they feel, you know, to get used to it, have it, do, you know, have your child do it during the day. Um, I've been always lucky at my daughter since she's five. She made this little cute video that she put her, her little appliance in and she's like, and it makes me feel better. And she taped her own mouth and she right. thumbs up and my son now, um, same thing. And I always say, I would never ask your child to do anything. I haven't asked my own. Good. That's beautiful. Um, and I, cause I, I do believe that, but again, we don't want to pressure people. We want people to stay into their own comfort lane. But, um, I always say, if your kid's going to be sitting there watching something, put it, you know, sit next to them, both of you do it, encourage it, see how it feels. It can, it's a really great learning lesson, but Sarah and I, I think across the board, we're always supporting it. We're both big lip tapers, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Eye masks, nasal yeah. strips, lip tape, <laughs> really right. attractive bed partners, but, um, <laughs> but it's okay. My husband's totally used to it. You know, once you get used to that, that regimen, I mean, it's very easy. Yeah. I used, uh, the uh, the breath strips last night. I, I do wear an oral appliance. Uh, we my wife and I always mouth tape, and when we travel, uh, it's 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 a key part of uh, I think of even if you can breathe your nose, it does help. I, our, our mouths fall open at night, even if we're good nose breathers. And I'm not sure why that is, but it's better to breathe your nose. You can't overbreathe CO two if you're breathing through your nose. It's exactly. so important. Um, let's well, talk I about oral appliances. Sorry, Pardon? I tape on I tape on the airplane. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. If Sorry, I'm taking yeah. a nap, uh, I'll put my little eye covers on, mouth tape. We just uh, came, as I mentioned earlier, we came back from Spain, and I think we were the only people on the plane with the eye masks. It was a red eye, and we had oh. our mouth tape on, and I had my oral appliance in, so, <laughs> and I got a good night's sleep. So nobody really noticed. Nobody said anything. So no, that that's was, great. That was Love good, it. Yeah. Let's talk about, oral appliances. talk about oral appliances. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Melissa, yeah. I know you have uh, a lot of experience in that. I guess my question would be, so for the last 10, 15 years of my career, I was making a lot of oral appliances. This was after I, I, I wrote the book on sleep apnea and went through a journey myself and my wife through navigating that whole system and how crazy it was, even though we were healthcare professionals who found it so difficult. And then I realized I could help a lot of patients. So, so I probably made over a thousand oral appliances and uh, you know, every dentist has their favorite and, and each patient is different. But what I'm curious about is how, how does a myofunctional therapist work with 
a dentist who's making oral appliances and and why is that a good thing? Because I didn't really have that opportunity. I, I would refer out, but I didn't have someone on site that would work with me. And I think that there's probably a big benefit to that. What What is it? Well, one, um, one getting about compliance and acceptance with right. the with the appliance uh, is first and foremost. A lot of patients that need appliances have trouble wearing appliances. Um, and compliance is a big issue in everything, right? You can yeah. have something, but if you don't use it, it's not going to give you any exactly. benefit. Even though so oral appliance compliance is much higher than CPAP compliance by yes. quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but that but was it's, one it's not easy. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, and actually we we do a lot of work also with CPAP compliance as well. The idea is that these um, structures, these appliances, these tools are being used for a structural issue that also had that functional and behavioral component. So we really, so first it started off in orthodontics. That was what I was telling you a little bit. And it first started, we were using some functional appliances in some different offices and you know, we needed the tongue to be strong to activate right. these things. And the, uh, the orthodontist had said to me, he's like, I don't even know what I'm looking at. <laughs> Hence is the tongue. And that kind of led me down a, a path of having to really research. There was some therapists that were working with orthodontists and trying to make these appliances work better. So we go back to a basic concept that teeth move by force. So um, if you're trying to move and maneuver teeth in an orthodontic community or even in a sleep appliance, you're trying to move the jaw into a more desirable position. It's always better when the lips, cheeks, and tongue are working with you instead right. of against you. Exactly. So that right there, having um, auxiliary staff or having a myofunctional therapist that can help navigate, again, kind of support your patient in discussing what's going on in the lips and cheeks, as well as what's happening with their breathing, how they feel, and helping them identify that maybe some triggers are being occurred, or this appliance is making them feel claustrophobic, or all of these things that maybe they don't know how to communicate. We can really support in certain exercises delivered in a sequence to really get the most out of the appliance. Um, and that can be across the board. Uh, most dentists, yeah, we, doctors like when we make their jobs easier. <laughs> so um, yeah, we, yeah, we, we provide support for whether it's CPAP, whether it's wearing retainers, whether it's, um, I mean, even having good oral hygiene or there's so many things. Um, are you wearing your sleep appliance? You know, that's something that we talk to patients about. So right. we're meeting with them once every two weeks or so. And we're doing that for, like I said, six months to a year. So we can really help be that like advocate and support for getting them to do whatever their doctor has asked them to do. We right. can just kind of help support and, and motivate and guide them in that. I think that's I, a fantastic service that a lot of dentists aren't aware of. Stability long-term, um, also understanding where people are trying to go when it comes to oral appliances for sleep issues, right? You know, where are you going with this? Is you know, is, is the patient going to wear the appliance long term? Do they eventually maybe need alternative other options? Maybe CPAP. Having someone that can support that besides just the clinical doctor is really beneficial for everybody. But from an orthodontic standpoint, stability in the dentition and keeping the teeth stable and not having the lips and cheeks working against you mm -hmm. is really fundamental to to keep this. I always say. Um, I'm not against retainers. I've gotten, I've gotten a little heat that I was told that, but that's not true at all. Because I say retainers are like driving with car insurance. I'm a big advocate of driving with car insurance, but I also am a big advocate of learning how to drive well. So I always feel like if you can 
learn how to maneuver and control your tongue, lips, and breathing, then right. you're in such a better percentage of being able to keep proper occlusion, keep your, your growth, um, and really overall just work on good breathing because I think it affects everything in your behavior. And as totally. a human, yeah, it, it can determine a lot in your life. Yeah, it, it and, really and affects everything. Just the way you look or function, but who you are, who you interact with, who your partners are. Yeah work, everything. Um, do, so someone like you, Melissa, that mm -hmm. has a lot of knowledge of uh, these mandibular advancement devices, uh, uh, do you ever work with orthodontists that are doing like RME, rapid maxillary expansion? Yeah, or Because it's not just about the heart tissues as oh, no. yeah, absolutely. learning here. Right? Yeah. Uh, Sarah and I, I, yeah, for most of that, that was kind of where I, I kind of got coined. Uh, I also had le lectured with Dr. Zaghi at the Breathe Institute and stuff. And um, my specialty was the myofunctional therapist and orthodontic component. So, and it was all about how could we make myo work better with expansion and really teach about that structural aspect, also setting it up so that it works better in a sequence throughout these treatment plans, because there can be a lot of, you know, moving parts. A lot of moving parts. And, yeah. and what Melissa is really good at is figuring out what, what comes first, you know, okay, we need, we have this expander, it's blocking the palate. So we don't want to do the tongue tie release while the expander's in the palate. So we try to plan and sequence the exercises around the specific appliance that the patient has, mm -hmm. which all of us therapists have to do to some extent. But I think when you're working closely with that dentist and you know their appliances, you know their systems, you can slot in your therapy in a very effective way. And um, that's, I mean, that's what we all strive to do, but working closely with the doctor makes such a difference. So communicating with the doctor is really important. So I think where I was able to make a little headway or kind of get into this niche was I could speak the language, right? Cause I worked with orthodontists so long. So I could talk that talk. And then they were willing to listen because I wasn't going against them. I, I love my orthodontists. They're, you know, everybody in the U.S. deserve, or anyone in the world, you can have picket fence alignment. I just want you to be able to breathe and keep it. <laughs> that's right. all. Right. Um, and that's the idea is if we can communicate to support the doctors as well as the patient, um, most patients are way more open to hear this type of treatment. And honestly, we get a lot better acceptance because they didn't just hear it from you. They also heard it from us. Um, you know, we've worked, you know, Dr. Bacow up in, uh, in Seattle, like different doctors in different areas that are really pushing envelopes and doing really great expansion. Dr. Moon, all these one moon, I mean, I adore him, uh, you know, how much he's done with growth and surgical stuff, all of this great stuff. But at the end of the day, you still need to get that tongue up and you still need to get that mouth closed. Uh, so what Sarah was saying, Dr. One of the areas I really found helpful was really get an established who take up breathing methods and breathing concepts while the appliance is in because any appliance, because what happens is we kind of take a step back in the beginning. Once the appliance goes in, patients might mouth breathe more. They might compensate different. They'll create other poor functions. Right. We kind of help them identify that. Then as we work it, then we can move in and kind of set things up. So streamlining it is really helpful for everybody. I think for everyone listening, it's important to realize that, and I get a lot of questions on Instagram and by email. It's like, what, just send me to a dentist that can take care of, if they're an adult, my narrow arch, high vaulted, you know, mm -hmm. arch, uh, or if their kid is, you know, uh, not able to breathe through their nose. I mean, they, they just, they're looking for that one simple referral. This is a multidisciplinary kind of approach. It takes yeah. time. 
And it's not just about the hard tissues, it's soft tissues. I mean, we're very complex beings. And that doesn't mean that if something goes wrong in the beginning, some environmental epigenetic factor, lack of breastfeeding, poor nutrition. I mean, there's so much, you know, pollutants, uh, uh, plastics. My, I mean, there's so many things that, that interfere with our development. Uh, it, it doesn't mean that the body is going to fix that. I mean, and so just seeing one, I think my, the take home point here is that just seeing a dentist isn't going to fix it. No. And, and most dentists aren't even aware of everything that we we're talking about here. So, which is unfortunate because it's not in the curriculum. When, when will myofunctional therapy be in the dental curriculum in a dental school? I know it's in some schools, but to the degree that it really is put in use by a dentist that after he graduates, after he or she graduates. Oh, more years? I don't know. <laughs> I can see, I can tell by your faces. That's, this is not going well currently. <laughs> no, it's, it's actually, it's we've made a lot of progress. So I don't well. think that'll, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, There's been 10 years ago, just, right, Sarah? <laughs> yeah. Just since I mean, it was not mentioned when I graduated, uh, well, yeah. when I went to dental school and I graduated mm-hmm. in 87. So it just wasn't mentioned. We, we got acupuncture. We got a whole bunch of other things. We got hypnosis. I would have really? preferred to get more on facial development, tongue posture, you know, uh, myofunctional therapy than, than acupuncture and hypnosis. So, yeah, well, I mean, Melissa and I, we both joke all the time. I mean, because I, I teach a course, Melissa is now guest lecturing with me on that. And so the students, they're learning this for the first time and they're all dentists and hygienists and speech pathologists typically. And they are just, their minds are blown. They're all professionals. And they're like, how come I didn't know this? And so Melissa and I talk about, and we say to them all the time, you guys are so lucky to be getting into the field now, because Mm -hmm. even 10 years ago, um, when Melissa and I first got into it, it's a world of difference with the amount of research, the amount of um, like, so like social public acceptance, the amount of acceptance in like the professional dental world, it's night and day in just 10 years. And so I always think about the therapists who've been doing this since like the sixties and seventies. And I'm just like, how was anyone doing this before the internet? Like, I don't even understand that. Like, right. how would you know about this? Yeah. How would you research it? You couldn't Google it. You just had to be lucky enough to have a therapist in your town who knew a dentist that you happened right. to see. And it was all word of mouth for a very long time. I mean, um, that was so- my first exposure to, to myofunctional therapy. It was a speech pathologist and, and I realized that there was a problem. It was a tongue tie. And, you know, I didn't know what I know now. This was 25 years ago. And then I got a referral through my, the orthodontist that I was referring to. And it was for a speech pathologist and it really didn't go anywhere. I mean, it was a one or two, two hour session. And, and, uh, and that's the first I had heard of a speech pathologist working with a dentist. I mean, it yeah. wasn't in dental school. And so it's not part of the curriculum. It's not part of our training. Unfortunately, it's a lot like medicine and dentistry uh, working in yeah. two parallel universes. Uh, but as you said, it's getting better. Uh, I have a directory at Ask the Dentist, uh, as mm-hmm. you probably know, of uh, over mm-hmm. 200 functionally minded dentists. And all of them are, are aware of this and and know, as you said, Melissa, they're, they're walking the talk. And and, uh, you know, they, they see it as a multidisciplinary kind of that, yeah. that kind of approach is the best way to go. So I would like to see it, you know, in five to 10 years, be much more mainstream. Um, I mean, it's, it's getting there, but I, I think it's, it's going faster now. So pretty much since 2015, that's when I noticed that 
um, the, the dental world was taking, put, uh, taking notice of myofunctional therapy because we, we started to get legitimate research coming out of Stanford at that point. Right. Um, then 2017, we had a new grading scale published, um, that, you know, helped us have a whole new understanding of tongue ties. Um, you know, 2020, 2021, um, even this year, there's research being published every day that's talking about the detriments of not just sleep apnea, but mouth breathing, because right. all sleep apnea and sleep disordered breathing, it starts with mouth breathing. Right. So if we can address it when it's just mouth breathing and it doesn't have the opportunity to progress to snoring and upper airway resistance, and then to obstructive sleep apnea, um, you know, if we can understand the root cause is mouth breathing, um, if we can correct it early, then we can avoid these problems down the road. And so the dental world is picking up on it. Um, Spear Education started talking about it around yes. 2015, 2016. Dawson, Dawson's got it in their yeah. curriculum now. But this is all continuing education. This is yeah. after. You know. Exactly. So it's not dental schools, right. although I have been asked by several, and I think Melissa too, dental schools and orthodontic schools to come be like a guest lecture. Uh, I, I've done that. And I think that's progress. Um, I, so also, I also think the more we tap into these um, really hard issues that affect people on a really personal and deep level, um, you're going to see more people start to demand and require and really expect more information from providers. And I think that's exciting. You know, you, mouth breathing, they do. sleep, they do already. you know, yeah. where I know we touched a little bit on how much it personally, uh, you know, affects people's behaviors. Um, I know in, what was it, 2019, I, right before the pandemic, when was it, right before our lecture in Florida, uh, the light snapple, right, was the first time I decided to really open up about my personal story and I put my own airway up. And I, I was just brutally honest and said, I've been someone who struggled, you know, struggled my entire life. Um, I was told I had ADD and learning disabilities. Um, I was put on Ritalin. I never slept. I, I was late to school all the time. Right. Um, I was really... I've suffered with depression and anxiety most of my life. I was put on multiple medications. Um, and don't get me wrong, I had a lot of traumas and stuff in my life, but the fact that I was not getting air from a very young age and I was growing into this, I had dental issues, all kinds of stuff. Um, I had defined myself as that person, right? Like that's who I thought I was. I didn't think there was any fixing it. Right. And when I really, I feel like I was called to Mayo because just doing exercises, learning about my sleep issues, working on my breathing has taken me to this beautiful world where I do a lot of, you know, yoga retreats. I do Mayo. I'm able to help. I've been able to, I'm not saying fix everything perfect, but I've sure been able to move myself to a much more happy and health control. Like I control it. I have more, more control right. of it. And it's all because I, I can identify and work on my, on my breathing and I can control my mouth breathing. And I think things like that will make a really big difference in our industry, in our field. Yeah. Melissa, this is a very common story. I hear this often, whether it's a listener or a patient or mm -hmm. just an acquaintance. And so I'm glad you're sharing that. I mean, a lot of us have breathing stories and breathing issues. And as Sarah was saying, a lot of that, or most of it, one of the components is the fact that we're not able to breathe through our nose. And that's mm -hmm. not, I'm not exaggerating. I don't, I mean, that, that is something that determines a lot of our destiny is whether we're able to breathe through our nose or through our mouth. So mm -hmm. it's very important. Um, I want to talk about one more thing before we learn more about how people would get in contact with you. Um, 
we talked about it before we hit the record button. It's And this just happened to a friend of mine. He's a big influencer on the East Coast. This happens a lot. It happened to my daughter. It, it's happening so much now that when I hear someone's having a baby, I, I right away, whether they want to hear it or not, I say, listen, this is what's going to happen. <laughs> and this is what you should do. And Sarah and I have talked about this. We're, we're trying to figure out how we can uh, fix this problem. But uh, this poor man was so excited to have his first child. And six at when she was probably probably in the first trimester, I had mentioned to both of them that tongue tie could well be an issue. It's, you know, happens 40, 50% of the time, maybe more. Um, and that's not a big problem as long as it's caught early. And then that way baby can latch on quickly and breastfeeding won't be an issue. And everyone's happier. Mom's happier. Dad's happier. Baby certainly is happier. Uh, there's less chance of postpartum depression, a uh, host of things, mastitis. Uh, but so I, again, said it's, it's, it's good. They're going to, they're going to check for it at the hospital or they're going to say they check for it. And yeah. chances are, I can't say how often, but there's a good possibility that they will miss the tongue tie and they will tell you that everything oh, is fine. And you're assuming that that's been checked off. And when the breastfeeding issues start, you're not thinking back going, oh, it, it's probably tongue tie. So of course it happened to him, but he had re remembered what I had said and he right away went to a tongue tie specialist. They quickly released the tongue and, you know, happy ending, of course, everyone's happy. But so what's the solution here? This is happening a lot in hospitals. Hospitals are saying that they're trained and that they can recognize the tongue tie. These are doulas, midwives, uh, you know, uh, the physician, the nurses. Uh, remember in the old days, the one nurse would keep a long fingernail and snip the, yeah. I can't believe that, but anyway, I don't know when that happened, but uh, so what, let's not solve the problem now, but what, can we tell parents that now are afraid that this may happen? What is some advice we can give to them that where this we could prevent this from happening to them and their child? Any ideas? I mean, I, I, my I mean, solution I, is to hire someone like a therapist cool, yeah. and have them on standby. I mean, <laughs> you know, pay them for an hour or two of their time, travel <laughs> time included, and have them be there at the birth. Wouldn't that be the easy solution? Is that? viable? Uh, gosh, I mean, it's, it's not the easiest solution. I mean, obviously it would be nice if, if we could just trust like, okay, they screen for it in the hospital and right. they're correct. And the problem is that they're looking at it through a different lens than we are. So people who like, this is what we live, breathe, eat, like exactly. this is our, our focus um, to us. It's so much more important. And we're so much more aware of the impacts that I just think in the hospital, they're, they're not seeing the bigger picture mm -hmm. um, of function down the road. And, and we're immersed in this world. So to us, it's easy to figure out and it's easy to see. Um, but to them, it's like, well, you know, we did a quick screening and, and it looks that's fine. It's even and, worse because I call this medical gaslighting. This happens yeah. in many other areas, but, or, or you know, uh, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's made even worse by the fact that they, they checked it off for you. Right. And they think yep. that they're fine. And right. then that's like, yeah, it is. It's actually, it would be better to just not say anything. Yeah. Not yeah say anything. You're right. Yeah. And yeah. just say, have it checked by a professional. Yeah. I know it's not a perfect answer, but the one thing is to really, if you are pregnant or you're, you know, you're expecting or something along those lines, 
try your hardest to educate yourself as much as possible. Right. Um, you know, there is a lot of information out there. There is some amazing doctors out there that, you know, you can get online, you can call them, you can send them photos from the hospital. They can tell you, not saying it's perfect, but the more you can recognize and be aware, if your baby, you know, within 30, 45 minutes, you get on skin on skin, you latch and it's not going well. Don't assume it's you. Exactly. Don't assume it's normal. Like start looking in the mouth, start noticing things in the face. The more you can read and identify will really help you, unfortunately, be an advocate for you and your child. You have to be your own advocate in some right. cases. I think that's great advice. The part where don't assume it's you that you're, I mean, babies instinctually been trained to latch on Absolutely. mom knows what to do i mean it, it's all the the blueprint is there but mm -hmm. we always take the blame especially moms oh, mom, I mean, moms are experts at that mom mm -hmm. never will and that's just an and i think it's a beautiful thing it's a natural instinct when you have a baby like right. my baby perfect it look your baby looks perfect it is right. perfect hands down and so you assume it's got to be you not not your beautiful baby but um don't do that to yourself because trust me there was lots of decades and years where that was survival right? right like if your baby couldn't latch on and breathe i mean the option was not something you want to discuss and you got to almost put yourself in that mindset is okay what's not working mechanically here let's get in and fix it right and that's the advice i if i give patients i if you can't have someone there present then at least do some background research you can do this even before you know you conceive speak with your dentist and find out who the expert is on yes. diagnosing it and also doing the surgery. That way you can get in quickly. Uh, this happened to my daughter and it took us three weeks to yeah. get mm -hmm. uh, you know, yeah, my granddaughter to the right person. And so have that all done in place. Don't assume that the hospital is gonna get this right. That's what I was going to say is even reach out to these providers and say, Hey, here's my due date. Yep. Um, I'm just wanting to be prepared. If I need to get in, you know, quickly and right away, do you have openings? How does it work? Get to know them. Um, I think finding the professionals and lining up kind of that support team. Um, and it could also be lactation support. It can be cranial sacral, um, like body work support. Exactly. Sometimes the tongue tie is one piece. But sometimes they're they're the mom and baby do need like lactation guidance. Um, and sometimes body work is a is a big component of that too. So if you know all that stuff going into it, then it's way less stressful. I mean, I can't even imagine trying to deal with finding, you know, the providers and dealing with a newborn after you've given birth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, There's a lot of prep work. And so you know you have so many feelings going on, and, and most dads are just trying to support and do what they need to do. So yeah, the more you can do it, and there is a lot. I mean, you can definitely reach out, find out who's doing it in your area, and call ahead without exactly. a doubt. Mm -hmm. Exactly, and they'll have a solution for you. They may so, even volunteer to be there or send someone there. Yeah. And I just had to get that off my chest because I'm seeing that happen a lot. And oh, it's, I love it. Yeah, it's Thank really, it's really unfortunate. It. So so where can people find you? And, and let me just preface that by saying that when I met Sarah back in, I think it was 2015, maybe 2014, uh, you were one of the pioneers of teledentistry. Mm -hmm. That's what, that's well, what you were doing on, and you were, and so I've referred to a lot of patients and uh, they, they all loved those initial sessions. And there's a lot that can be done uh, like what we're doing now uh, via zoom. And so, but tell me more about you as business partners, how can people find you? What, services do you offer and how does that fit into regular dental visits or orthodontic visits? Yeah. 
our practice is called Faceology. Um, Faceology has been around for over 10 years now, and it started off as just me as a solo therapist. Um, now Melissa is my partner. We run and manage it together, and we've got a team of seven therapists. So we're working with um, high volumes of patients, but we're also trying to provide the highest quality care and the best possible myofunctional therapy that's out there. So it's important to both of us that we communicate well with the dental offices to support the patients that we're like on top of, I mean, every aspect for us, it's all about high quality. So we are just trying to reach as many people as we can and provide the highest quality myofunctional therapy therapy that we can. And if, yeah, a well, and if a clinical visit is needed, you can, you, you know, the best people in the business in we, each person's in each patient's area. So you yeah, can refer that's the amazing part is between Melissa and me, we have a really big network all over the United States. And even in other countries, we have a lot of patients from the UK and Australia. And I mean, Melissa, you could probably even name some others, but um, yeah. yeah, faceology is, you know, growing. We um, just recently rebranded. So stay tuned to our website. We've got some really amazing things happening. Um, our website is myfaceology.com and you can also find us on Instagram and put all that um, in the show notes and, um, look up both Melissa and I, um, you know, there's maybe you can link in the, the notes how to, how to find us on social media and and all that stuff. But, um, Melissa, do you want to add anything to that? Well, I just think, you know, we both had these practices. We both had soul myofunctional practices. And then, you know, Sarah spends a lot of time teaching and training. And then I was doing a lot of work with implementing implementation and consulting to these dentists. And we really realized that together we brought this really unique dynamic where we could not only support the patient, but we could support the provider and together we could elevate the therapists. And I think that's important. I think what faceology, what we're really trying to do is we are really making, bringing our therapists up to another level so that as a patient and a provider, most of the work is done for you and that you can really expect a superior kind of experience Um, because me and Sarah have had so much time in the field doing these things. And we have one goal and one mission, and that is really to support everybody that is included in the journey. And that comes from doctor, body worker, patient, mom, dad, everybody. And um, I think you'll feel that experience together. Sarah and I, as friends, um, we are sassy and classy. They like to make a joke, but we bring like a really authentic position to it. And um, we're really excited about the future. That's for sure. I think that was very well said. And, and what you just said embodies the whole concept and elevating and that multidisciplinary approach. And it's the only way it gets done. And 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 earlier, what, what I think Sarah mentioned uh that network that you have, that's why I always call you uh, or email you when I need a, you know, a, a name in a town or city and any part of the world. So I appreciate yeah. that. Um, uh, I will put all those uh, links into the show notes. We'll make sure that people have access to that. I'd love to get you on for another podcast. We, we didn't talk about the tongue gut connection. Oh, that yeah. would be kind of fun. I mean, I'm a sure that other, that's an, a lot of things we could get to. Oh yeah. That's yeah. a good hour right there. So, so for everyone that's listening, I will, ha- I will put that into the show notes. Um, if you have any questions, a lot of the questions I asked are from you directly from the viewer, the listener. If you have questions, go to speakpipe 
com slash ask the dentist we've uh, i think sarah you've contributed to our website we've got lots of articles on ask the dentist.com about this it's a great place to start to educate yourself about this certainly uh faceology is a probably the place to start and then also here's here's the issue you know we're we're sitting here educating the viewers uh, and this is very high-end dentistry i call this the race program you know, no, it's like it. it's Formula One, right? It's it's <laughs> and it's all going to trickle down, right? But it hasn't trickled down to all dentists, all providers. And so, if you're, you know, if you bring this up with your provider and you're getting kind of a blank stare or kind of a a, a gaslighting, a dental gaslighting moment, then then reach out to our directory. We have uh, a directory of functional dentists. Go to askthedentist.com slash directory. They're all over the world. That list is growing. And these are dentists that will know exactly what you're talking about and are working with myofunctional therapists. Uh, and that's the key. I think I think we went for almost an hour and a half. Um, I'm hoping that everyone got the idea that uh, myofunctional therapists are a key aspect of dental care, oral health, and of course, therefore, overall systemic care. So both of you, I appreciate the time you spent. Uh, I look forward to chatting with you again. Anything else you want to add before we sign off? No, thank you so much. This was so much fun. It was yeah, a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And uh, I'm glad you guys are doing what you're doing. It is absolutely amazing. And I'm sure we'll see more of it. So until the next episode, we'll, we'll talk more. Thank you again. Bye. Turning off.